0: doing the the upfront work on your your own side so learning and growing personally and professionally whether it's networking events books podcasts really being active in the community are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey
1: welcome back. It's Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is Joe Costanza, who's a real estate investor and has predominantly built his portfolio in the last two years, despite the pandemic, did not let any excuses get in the way. And he's built quite a nice portfolio in some secondary markets, as well as some current Hot markets. So, we're going to talk about those and uh, is now getting into some multifamily. And uh, we talk about cash flow and many other things. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and also some exciting news. The Have Your Cake and Eat It to retreat is happening. And we've actually moved the dates into August, which is the 9th, 10th, and 11th of August. If you are interested in joining us, there are going to be 40 guests max. We're gonna take care of everything from the food, beverages, activities. We're gonna have some amazing speakers and day and night activities and entertainment as well as lodging. Uh, We're gonna actually be booking a few off-site rooms as well so that everybody can have their own hotel room. And uh, we're gonna shuttle back and forth to the resort which uh, is going to be, you know, phase one is going to be completed. There's going to definitely be more cottages added over the next couple of years, but uh, I'm super excited to show you guys the resort. We can talk about it, how to develop a resort and all that good stuff, but This event in August, Have Your Cake and Eat It To The Retreat, is going to be absolutely incredible. We are going to ensure that we have the best of everything, the best speakers, the best activities, some really unique experiences. And so if you are interested, send me a message on Instagram, investor Sarah Larby, or send me an email, sarah at sarahlarby.com, and I will send you the link with additional information on that note. Let's bring in Joe. Joe, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: Good, good. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited. You've uh, you've been very, very successful. Why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about uh, what it is that you do, how you got started, and we'll go from there.
0: Yeah, um, I got started a few years ago, a little over two years ago now. Uh, I started by um, really investing in the Hamilton market, doing the, uh, the pretty standard uh, bird projects there, which at the time uh, was the taking the single family homes and converting them into duplexes. So that's kind of where I, I kind of started. And, uh, and since then I've, I've branched out a little bit. Uh, I've, I've really niched in the, in the Hamilton area for probably the last two years or so, but uh, in the last, I'd say six months, I've started branching out into the Sudbury market a little bit. Uh, we're looking to close on uh on our eighth property by the end of this year. Uh, so that'd be three years investing. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to to just reach that little bit of a milestone for me and yeah, and then go from there. That's kind of a little brief about where I am with my, my investment stuff right now.
1: Nice. Nice. Congrats. So you basically, so three years, how many, just curious. So once the pandemic started, how many did you do there out of the eight?
0: Uh, so, uh, we're, we're currently on six. Um, we're planning to do eight by the end of my three years investing, but in the, during the pandemic, uh, it would have been, well, I mean, if we're still considering this part of the pandemic, it would have been four since the pandemic.
1: Okay. Awesome. Can I ask like, you know, obviously the ones that you have, what kind of, I mean, obviously this, doesn't happen, you know, this is every year, but I think since the pandemic, whoever was in the market, did really well. Can you share maybe a deal that you did, you know, at the start of the pandemic and what that looks like now, maybe from a, an appreciation standpoint?
0: Yeah. Um, so we bought something just prior to uh, to all the news coming out about uh, back in uh, in early 2020. It was a single fam- It was a single family home in Hamilton, Ontario. We bought it for 100. We bought it for 500. We had planned to do about $65,000 of work into it. And our original ARV uh, came back somewhere in around like uh, mid 600s. Fast forward eight months later, we're ready to refinance. We took our time with refinancing it. And now the property is worth 810,000. And so it was just like this tremendous boost of, uh of, appreciation that really helped us out. Like, obviously I've, I've taken that and been able to scale that. So, I mean, to my benefit that, that the market has worked, and I think to everyone who's been investing, it's really been working to their benefits with with, with everything going on, but it does, uh, does cause some hesitancy with me right now with how dramatically things have moved um, over the last little bit. Although I still have confidence in the market, but it's just, I think everyone's a little bit watching very closely what's going on.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought it up because this was going to be where I, I was hoping to lead to. I mean, obviously it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market, but the last two years has been just something that like I've never seen before. And we've like very rarely seen such increase in appreciation year over year of 30 you know, potentially 40%, depending on where you are and what kind of investment you're going to. So here's the thing is that like, you know, you've started three years ago, you you seem like a very savvy investor. We've got to prepare for the good, just like we have to prepare for a potential downside or a potential lull. I mean, who knows exactly what's going to happen in the short term. What are some of the things that you are doing as you're acquiring properties to ensure that you're not overly leveraged potentially, or that you have staying power should something happen down the road?
0: So for me personally, what I've, I think, I think what we need to focus on in this market, especially with, with now rising, with, with potential rising infl- um, interest rates and the inflation that we're seeing, I've been leaning more towards uh, heavy cash flowing properties. And that's just, well, uh, for me, it's a, it's a hedge because the properties that I have acquired in the Hamilton market up till now, because of we've had so much appreciation in the market, there the the cash flow on those properties is really pinched, right? I self-manage them. So it's not really an issue. But if I were to decide one day to push them off into a property manager, now we come into a point where it's like, am I breaking even on this property every year? Or um, are we making like a very small amount where we have one upset? You know what I mean? Where it's like, so I, I self-manage those, so they're fine. But um, long-term, I want to kind of release that, uh, that load on myself. And so I've been gearing more towards heavy cash-flowing properties. And so that was part of the reason I kind of made a transition from the Hamilton market to a larger market uh, like Hamilton into a smaller market like Sudbury, uh, where I was able to get much more cash-flowing properties. Now, with that being said, we are closing on a property in Hamilton, it, it in a in a month or two that by the time we're done we're expecting to make between 1500 and 1900 dollars a month in cash flow so it's there are opportunities you just have to know where to look and they're m- much more far and few in between But that's been my, my goal has been looking for more flow and properties to kind of create a hedge for myself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I've been preaching cash flow since I probably started this podcast and I'm sure people are sick of of hearing about it, but this is why, right? It's, it's not just to replace your income over time. It's not just, so banks keep, your lenders keep lending. I mean, obviously that helps as well if you've got a a good, you know, uh, DCR ratio, Mm -hmm. It's for being able to ride the wave because let's just say there's a 20% drop or a 30% drop. Like, you know, again, I don't think it's going to be super steep necessarily in the bottom thirds of where we're investing. It might might hit, if anything, the the more expensive homes first and then by area, it's going to be very different. But the cash flow will be that staying power, right? So your tenants are still... Paying the same rents, if not more, every single year, and uh, you know more people are going to need to rent probably because if if lenders start tightening up or people are starting to sell, I mean, where else are they going to go? So I, I, you know, the rental market is always going to be very different from the uh, anyways. I can talk about Ontario, but I can't say for every single province. Sometimes it differs depending on, on if people are leaving town actually because they don't have jobs, but you know, most of them will have to rent. And in Ontario, the rents don't go up and down like the house prices. And, you know, if if things do happen and they will at some point. Right. It's a, it's a market cycle. Do you have that staying power? The renters are likely still going to pay and the cash flow is going to, I think, determine those who were just speculating buying those condos that are super expensive, not cash flowing versus the ones that are able to sustain the market with the ups and the downs because of the cash flow. So you you talked about 15, you talked about $1,900 of cash flow. That sounds awesome. I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like a duplex or
0: multifamily. Bridge. It's a it's a triplex in Hamilton uh, okay. that we that we recently uh, that we're in the process of closing on. Uh, it's a it's a great deal, but obviously we're much more invested. I have partners on the deal, and we're much heavier m- m- the, because of the cash flow. Um, we're much more invested in these, and as opposed to my other ones, are are almost perfect burrs or whatnot. Uh, so there is a trade-off. Um, for getting cash flow in those those uh, high equity markets, and it usually comes in in the form of uh, of actual like equity. Anyway, so yeah, that that's the that's the cash flow that I have on that place. Uh, but I've been gearing more towards a Sudbury market and stuff like that for the smaller markets where where cash flow is. I I'm gonna say easier to find. Uh, it's still difficult to find, but you have to know what you're looking for, right? Yeah, I think that comes sure. with everything.
1: In, in these new markets, like Sudbury as an example, are you buying already cash flowing properties? Or are you converting them? Or are you buying current multifamily? Like what is it that you're, you're currently buying to make it work?
0: So I'm, I'm doing typical renovations to what I was doing in the, in the Hamilton markets. So I'm doing a lot of the single family homes to duplexes, single family homes to triflexes uh, and stuff like that. And I'm able to find some really great cash flowing properties because of that. Uh, my strategy there, and similar to my strategy in the Hamilton market, is buying in really good areas. And so I lean towards looking at tenant first and, and then area. Uh, so where are the tenants that I want? Where are they migrating to? Where are the, the high quality tenants? Because like you said, like as much as it's nice to hedge your bets and, and have that cash flow, if you have tenant turnover every year because you're in a bad area, that doesn't help you either, right? And so I, I look for, if I have to take a small, uh, like a less return um, to know that I'm going to get high quality tenants, I'll, I'll do that every day than, uh, than just going for pure cash flow or pure, um, let's say, market appreciation, like uh, some markets that we have in uh, Southern Ontario. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
1: Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause and share with you a financing tip that helped me scale my portfolio and can also help you as well. By working with Streetwise Mortgages, I took a strategic goals-based versus a transactional approach to financing. And they've helped me develop a financing roadmap that aligned with my goals and gave me some crystal clear clarity on where the money will come from to grow, how to maximize my borrowing power, how to structure future deals and avoid some costly mistakes, saving me thousands along the way. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise and also Very recently, they've offered an additional summary report of the best to invest 18 Ontario markets and also a comprehensive deep dive research into a market of your choice out of those 18. I highly recommend that you take them up on that offer. If you're looking to grow your portfolio, to book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a balancing act, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to self-manage. The one thing I, you know, I think is more and more interesting these days is that as Ford removed the rent control, so anything that's new, new dwelling units, I, after November fifteenth of two thousand eighteen, this is for Ontario. Obviously, it, it differs by province, but all the units that you're creating that are new or no are not subject to rent control. So even if there is a downturn. And everyone's, you know, the, no, there's no inventory and the market rents are going crazy. You can raise the market rents on those units that were not existing dwelling units before, unless, and again, they can always change, they can always change and go back on these rules. But as, as of recording this podcast right now, I think that's a great asset. And it's also, I think, an opportunity to hedge against a potential downside because you could still raise market rents if things, you know, are like even your interest rates are increasing on your mortgages, that kind of stuff. Like there are things that you can do by creating these units that were not existing before. Any thoughts on that?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not specifically. Um, I, um, a lot of the tenants that I have, um, I think partly because I do self-manage and I'm not saying this is great advice to anyone. I don't know if this is uh, proper advice to be giving to people. Um, but uh, I have a, a decent relationship with my tenants uh, because of the areas be, that I invest, uh, because of the uh, types of renovations that I'm doing. Um, I have, uh, I would say, higher quality tenants, the doctors, the lawyers, the nurses, the uh, the, I don't know that I want to say like the police officers and whatnot, the people who are much more responsible. And so I have a really good relationship with my, with my tenants as a whole. So I haven't had to raise any rents like that uh, using the rent control act because we get on a personal level. Um, and so it's fine from that perspective. All, all obviously as soon as they're out, I have no problem raising rents to to standard levels, but I'm pretty fair with them in terms of how I adjust rates over year over year.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, so you talk about we uh, a few times. Who is who is we? So, what kind of partners do you have as you're acquiring more properties? Who are you bringing in on these deals, and what are what's your role and what's their role?
0: Uh, I think I use the the we as the royal we a lot, Um, but I I have brought on uh, a few partners in at the the kind of um, the front part of investing and bringing on partners. It's been uh, a lot more family stuff. However, you want to take your, your view on that. I have a really good relationship with my family and stuff like that. So it's not an issue. It was more a matter of getting them on board and understanding what the process was. Um, and then now I'm starting to branch out to more non-family related investment partners and, uh, and whatnot. So that's been going really well. We're looking to, uh, to scale really quickly with, with bringing on those people as I go forward in the next kind of year, year and a half or so.
1: Okay, cool. And I know we had this conversation beforehand, right? Here's, mm-hmm. my, my take on it is I, I I've done it twice, worked with family in some capacity, one, one mm-hmm. as a, a tenant, one as a, a partner. Personally, and you might have a very different family than me, but personally, it's always turned out to be a bad choice uh, for me personally, but I'm glad that so far it seems to be working out for you. Any advice Like if someone's thinking, okay, you know, like maybe we should partner with family, any advice that you have that you can share on, you know, some things that you've done to to make it a great partnership?
0: Yeah. I have a kind of step-by-step process that I've taken to kind of bring family on board. And I think that's relatively similar um, whether you're bringing family on board or whether you're bringing um, just a a standard, like a, a, a arm's length partner on board. But in terms of managing with uh with family i found it easiest to just ma- it's more of a matter of managing expectations and so what i do for myself a lot uh but also what i do for with when i when i bring family on board is i basically give people the the worst case scenario and the like kind of unlikely case scenario and then i leave the best case scenarios for like myself like i know what they are but i'm not sharing that information with them and I think for me, it helps me to manage their expectations. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of time, what happens when you you bring family on board, I haven't had this issue, but a lot of the hesitancy that I get from investors, whether it's partnering family or borrowing money from family or whatnot, it's managing expectations. And it's what, um, like this deal is going to go X, Y, it's going to do 50, 60% returns per year. And instead I'm, I'm looking at my family going, we're going to, do well at 20, right? And then we end up doing much better than 20. The market's helped, but I mean, I think it's more of just a matter of managing that expectation on that end. Um, yeah. So you're
1: the active partner and then they're the passive partner, like from a, a money standpoint, or are they a joint venture? Like, are they on title? Like, how are you setting Yeah, that up? so
0: a typical kind of 50, 50 split partnership. So uh, they're the, the money partner and the financing partner. I do the, uh, I do more of the, the legwork and the heavy lifting, bringing the contractors on board, managing the contractors, managing any other relationships, tenant relationships and whatnot long-term. I'm the one who really sets up with the, with any mortgage advisor or anyone that we bring on. I basically line everything up for them. They just hand their information over and, and I take care of the rest. Yeah, that's basically how I, how I operated it. Yeah.
1: Awesome. I mean, it seems like it works really well for you. It depends again. I think ultimately on the family member and and them understanding what their role mm-hmm. is, what your mm-hmm. role is, and and being okay with that. I mean, there so, were growing pains. Uh, I'll at tell the you. Beginning. What...
0: Sorry, I cut you off there. But there there were obviously growing pains towards a, at the beginning, but we've kind of worked them out uh, and and figured it out along the way. Um, yeah, to that point.
1: Cool. That's awesome and and you know what sometimes there's a lot of uh, families that you know look at, at somebody like you that's a real estate investor and they're like oh my god I'm you know that's so risky did you have any of that in the beginning like where people were like oh my god you want to invest in like a bunch of properties and b- buy a bunch of houses like you know that's just mm-hmm. very risky or or were they kind of already on board from the start
0: so it's weird uh they weren't on board so none of my family was on board with the idea of it everyone was uh, kind of not I wouldn't say, discouraging me they just weren't offering positive reinforcement towards investing i think a lot of people face this uh whether you're going to invest with your family or not invest with your family uh sometimes the people around you that aren't exposed to this stuff or uh are the first ones to kind of shut you down or to give you kind of non uh supportive advice um and so I had a lot of that at the beginning, and as I've kind of worked my worked with them and, and really been excited about the process and showing them all the, the benefits of it, um, they've kind of turned around, and uh, and I think that that starts first and foremost with uh, with really taking time for yourself and doing the, the upfront work on your, your own side. So learning and growing personally and professionally, whether it's networking events, books, podcasts, really being active in the community in that respect and really growing your, your knowledge from there. And then from there sharing that and, and really bringing them on board, bringing the, the mindset uh, of an investor, bringing in the processes, what, what are the numbers look like? How do the numbers work? Uh, what are the different opportunities? Can you rent to own Burr refinancing um, CMHC loans, you name it stuff like that Uh, and then really just being open with that communication what hardships are you facing are you are you having struggles what are the struggles right how did you overcome those things how did you overcome the mistakes that you made and 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 showing that you're learning as you go and you're learning the process. And I think that's what gives people a lot more confidence, whether it's family or it's just a a typical investor um, or like an arm's length joint venture partner is uh, being able to kind of work them through that process and putting yourself first and saying, I'm going to learn and I'm going to teach these people how, how this is done is how I've kind of approached it. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys,
1: I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design, to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjackcontractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. Also reach out to him instagram which is at blackjack contracting inc and like he says he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives so when you have blackjack on your side the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits, so he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle, and getting a good one that works with investors that Understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for sharing. So I want to go back to Sudbury for a second because you were in sure. Hamilton, then you moved to Sudbury, and once you move into a different market, especially a market you know four hours away from your first one, you've got to create, in a sense, a, a new team. And so maybe walk us through, if you don't mind how and who you, you added not, not the names of the people but like you know the types of, of roles as an example uh, and then how you expanded from there to be able to have those, those people that you trust uh, in a brand new market.
0: Yeah, I think it starts first you need you, you need some you need to build a team like you said. and so for me it started with finding a high quality realtor in the area and then building the team out kind of around around him. Um, it's similar and it's the same process that I went through when I started investing uh, initially, give or take two and a half years ago in Hamilton, because I found a realtor that I trusted. I interviewed a few people, found a realtor that I trusted and built my team around People that they knew, pe- pe- their connections, um, and so I I knew going into a new market this was something that I needed. I needed the team, and so I did that same thing. I, I found a, a high quality realtor that I liked, uh, someone that I trusted, someone that I, I that really gave me um, the energy and the the responsiveness that I wanted, uh, and then built the team out around them. So bringing on, obviously, with it being four hours away, I'm not going to self-manage something like that. And so bringing on uh, property managers, then bringing on different contractors for different work and stuff like that um, has been a great process. And... Currently, I'm looking to kind of build a contracting team out there that takes over uh, a lot of my work. as As things come up, I hand it over to the team, and they take care of it. So, I'm working with. Uh, so, the the contractor side has honestly, if I'm being if I'm being frank, has been a struggle. Uh, teaching and uh, teaching these individuals how these duplexes are being built because I'm doing relatively larger renovations for the suburb area. A lot of the contractors that I'm working with, it's their first time doing it or first time going through the process. And so because I've gone through the process in Hamilton, I'm able to kind of walk them through it step by step, what needs to get done um, and sort of building their education on that from that way as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you know what, I, I find like, even if you have a good contractor, at some point they're going to be busy or they're moving to a different area or they're not going, or the pricing is going to be jacked up. So you, you still need to have, I think, a second and third contractor option at all times. But I want to go back for a second though, to your realtor. And I think people are probably wondering on, you know, that are listening here on the podcast you know, how did you even find that realtor to begin with? Is that, you know, from asking another investor in the area potentially, is that through the, you know, different Facebook groups? Like how did you find that original person or was it just on MLS?
0: No, no. So I I tend to stay away from MLS uh, realtors because Anyone and their uncle can get, uh, or before used to do, be able to get uh, a realtor license. What I'm looking for is people in the community, who who have they worked with? Who would they recommend if they were to work in that direction? And do they know anybody? And uh, and those are kind of just kind of picking the brain of your network. And that's, for me, that's so important. Obviously, um, you can't just pick anyone out of the, out of the group. Um, and I found a few different people. I, I, I interviewed people, had phone calls with them, went to go meet them in person and stuff like that. Uh, and then I just found someone that I clicked with and it made sense. He was, all he does is his investment properties are like 50 to 70% is of, of just his sales are investment properties. And so, uh, it just was a, it was a good fit. Um, and th- I think that's important. You should be building it out with your existing team or with a network. Um, and that's why a network is, is so important.
1: And I think from there, I mean, like you said, things, things will open. You can, you can lean on, especially if they're a real estate investor themselves on their team and, you know, and even somebody starting brand new, like it doesn't have to be that like four hours away. Find somebody that you trust and then, and then lean on them to give you access to their network. Even if it's like just trades, like your plumber, your electrician, all the good stuff. And then I think what you'll find at some point is you might find a better plumber. You might find somebody that you like better as a con, like, and you can, and you can actually build and exchange your team. It doesn't have to be the team forever and ever. Like, you know, my team is. Is what it is today. It looks very different than what it was four years ago, three years ago, right? It keeps evolving, keeps getting better. Um, or as people move in and out, you've got to you know make those changes. So mm-hmm. definitely, a, a realtor is uh, is a great, great first step to get into those those further markets. And especially, I think a, a realtor that works with investors that are also remote. So if you're remote from an area, they might have other things that they can do so that you're comfortable investing from a distance, right? I'm thinking like mm-hmm. even those like video walkthroughs, being able to really be your eyes for those those properties. Is there a process on how they're checking up on your, your construction? Do you have feet on the street or like, are they willing to do something like that? Maybe maybe not, right? Just all the conversations to have being many hours away so that you're not having to drive up to check on your, you know, mm-hmm.
0: progress. I, I think the investor-focused realtors that I've always come in contact with, whenever because I've always gone through the networks to find uh, to find good high-quality realtors. Everyone that I've worked with has been very responsive to stuff like that. They understand that. If they're, if they're mostly working with investors, that they may need to go and, and check up on the property for you. Uh, not that they need to, but it's something that it's a, it's, a, it's a service that they offer because they know that if this project goes well, you're going to do another one. Right. And so for me, I haven't had any issues with that. Um, He's, he's great. He sends constantly, I'm constantly getting videos of new properties um, walkthroughs, or he's just driving by my property and just uh, and just letting me know what the process is without me asking and stuff like that. So it's a good fit from that perspective as well. It makes me feel comfortable that I can invest at a distance and that uh, and that um, I'm, I'm in safe hands. Yeah
1: absolutely because i think especially in today's market i mean even if you're in vancouver or you're you know in toronto like there are markets that make sense likely in your province but maybe not within you know 2 or 3 hours if you have a smaller budget and you're looking for a higher cash flow you're probably at 4 to 5 hours at this point unless you're you're doing conversions and you're taking a single family into triplex or something along those lines you know there's still things that can work but it is definitely harder to do the deals. I think, you know, when I first started in 2013, 2014, like I was able to buy and borrow single families and they worked so well because the, mm-hmm. you know, the <laughs> ratios were so awesome. Um, and then just, you know, the, the market just shrunk awesome. in terms of, yeah. of uh, you know, what was on market and, and then all of a sudden, you know, competition started happening and that's just what where we are. Right. So it's, it's a market cycle, but adapt and change your, your strategy. Because now like a single family bird doesn't work in the majority of markets. You're going to have to convert. So adapt to where we are in the market, create the deals along the way. There are still deals to be had even closer, but you, it's not going to be the typical ones that were still, you know, the deals to be had five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. So Joe, you, you know, I want to say first and foremost, congratulations on your success and, uh, and doing it, you know, in a time where I think a lot of people were scared waiting for potentially the pandemic to show its colors and whatnot and you were making things happen and uh and congratulations and, and good for you I'm, I'm happy to hear that the next part of the podcast is the lightning round so i'm going to ask you five questions that every single guest guests the same questions you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind are you ready
0: i'm ready let's go
1: This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized, individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah.
0: And now back to the show.
1: All right. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book?
0: Favorite book? Uh, I've never been much of a big reader. But I would say uh, one of the first books that I read was uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, I don't know if it's really a real estate book, but it, uh, it helped to shape my mindset into investing.
1: Okay. All right. Very cool. Aside from real estate podcasts, do you have a favorite podcast? Could be any basically topic at all?
0: For entertainment, I love listening to the Jocko Whaling podcast. The There's entertainment value, but uh, for me, there's a lot of real hard life lessons there. And so it's just nice to be able to to listen to that for the entertainment and the the life lessons as well.
1: All right. Very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun when it it has nothing to do with real estate?
0: Um, growing up, we never really did, uh, a lot of winter sports. And so last year I got into snowboarding and so I'm really excited for the snow to hit this year, uh, and, uh, and, and get a few bruises. So <laughs> Very cool. uh, Very that's, cool. that's probably what, uh, with my fun is going to look like this year.
1: I, uh, used to teach snowboarding when I was in high school, it was a oh, yeah? job, but you know, it's, it's been a while. I, I'd love to get back into it as well. As, as you said that I'm like, yeah, you know, I should make enough for this year, <laughs> Number four, if you lost all of your money, all of your assets tomorrow, how would you start again?
0: These last two questions are always really hard. I tried not to prepare for them. <laughs> so <laughs> that I would like be as honest as possible on That's the spot. Cool. Um Knowledge and connections are key for me and they have been as I've been growing and as I've been uh, investing in real estate and really growing over the last two years. Um, so networking events and I would be bringing on joint venture partners and I would be doing it that way.
1: Okay. All right. Very cool. Last question, number five. If somebody has $50,000, they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money?
0: So $50,000 is going to get you it's hard. It's it's really hard to say, but it, it's it, it doesn't get you as much as as it used to uh, in today's markets. Um, but if I had fifty thousand dollars to start, I would probably either partner up with someone who knew what they were doing, uh, and if I wasn't going to do that, if I needed the cash flow, I would probably lean more towards uh, short term rentals for the cash flow purposes.
1: Okay, awesome, Joe. Where can the listeners reach out and find out more?
0: Yeah, uh, you can. Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram, uh, Joseph Costanza on Instagram, and then Joseph Costanza also on uh, on Facebook as well.
1: Amazing. Joe, thank you right. so much for being on the show. Thank it's you for having me. You on.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but... As i started my journey these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained what was actually stopping me was having a proven actionable repeatable system i didn't have that and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself learning listening and looking for ways that work and also most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today. I now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes. And I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment.